Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. Today, I have a special guest with me, somebody I am very excited to talk to, who I have seen on TV uh, uh, more times than is probably healthy. Uh, we have Manu Intereme with us today. How are you? I'm good, and I also love pudding. I like banana pudding. I like tapioca pudding. I like uh, chocolate pudding. Vanilla pudding. I'm one of those guys that likes vanilla pudding. You know, everyone wants the chocolate. I'll take the vanilla. It's pudding. Yeah, I had some uh, banana the other day, and I, uh, every time I have it, it, I have the exact same reaction. It's like, oh, I forgot how much I like this. I should have this again. Yeah. And it'll be a year. And butterscotch. Uh, I don't think there's a pudding. I even had uh, recently a lemon meringue pie pudding that I really enjoy. Ooh, that. Yeah. Uh, now you're gonna you're gonna make me uh, you're gonna make me cheat on my attempt to lower my caloric intake somewhat. I think. <laughs> so I, what I really wanted to start with more than anything is you know a lot of people will know you from your work on uh, Voyager, obviously, as well as uh, One Tree Hill. You started uh, into acting fairly young. Um, what what inspired you to get into this particular field? Uh, I knew from a very young age, um, I've answered this question before, and it feels generic because I've, I've, I've said it a million times, but it's not generic. I knew when I was four years old, I was watching a, a play in Boise, Idaho, and it was, uh, it, was, it was Peter Pan is what it was, uh, but it was at like a community theater hallway next to the movie theater, like a, you know, um, community theater. I guess that's what it's called. And I remember being four, and I remember watching the actors get their happy thoughts, and they started to fly around on stage. And from that moment, I remember thinking, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And then when I saw TV and Superman when I was five and Goonies and all those movies, I, I was like punching my hippie parents. We moved around all the time. So I was yelling at them, take me to Hollywood, take me to Hollywood. Um, and they didn't want to do it, so I had to wait till I grew up to move out here. But I, you know, I knew from a young age that I wanted to act. Um, in what form, you know, uh, I just knew that I wanted to act, and I, you know, I got into it uh, as a young man in community theater, and and you know, uh, came out here, went, did some school, and got lucky and got some parts. So do you have a preference? Now, uh, that was kind of one of the questions I was going to ask, how much between stage acting and screen acting you've done. Uh, some some people have a preference one over the other. They have things they love about both. What is, what is your kind of uh, favorite between the groupings? Uh, there's things I love about both. I, I suppose if I had to choose one, I would be a, you know, a movie star. I'd want to just do films. Um, but... Having said that, I, we, we're about to do something really cool, actually, in the, the, the theater world. Um, me and Robert Beltran, Chakotay, Chakobert, from, uh, <laughs> from uh, Voyager called me. And he, was, he thought about this idea of getting together like 35, 40 um, Star Trek actors, because Star Trek actors are very often theater people. They like doing theater. Um, a lot of my friends from Voyager, uh, Robert Picardo, Ethan Phillips, uh, Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine, are, are always doing theater, whether it's in Boston, New York, London, wherever they, they're at. Um, 
So we thought, why not get a group of us together and start something called the Stage Trek, which would be like three shows a year that we didn't do sci-fi theater. Uh, maybe we would sometime if there's a sci-fi play out there that's great. But just the idea that we would cast mostly Trek actors and have a sort of Star Trek repertoire, uh, repertory, is that the word? Yeah, of, of uh, you know, of, of, of people from Star Trek that, that starred in these plays and we do them over and over again. And just a couple nights ago, we had a, a good dinner with a friend of mine that um, produces Broadway shows and produced uh, Allegiance with, wow. uh, with George Takei. And he was interested, so that'll be coming, you know, uh, in the upcoming months. We're going to try to make that financed and get it off the ground and see if people show up. Wasn't there supposed to be a picture of that? I seem to remember seeing there was supposed to be a picture of that. <laughs> I tweeted, I tweeted that I would take a picture, but I was having such a nice dinner, I forgot to, I forgot to take a picture. Yeah, I, I had so, to bring that up. Yeah, but we meet again in two weeks, and so I will remember to take a picture, and and I will. I will fix that bad on Twitter. Not like I haven't had bads on Twitter before. Yeah, uh, Twitter is is almost the the home to bads. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not in that sense, but uh, it can be in others. Oh man, I got thrashed on Twitter for a couple of years there. I said some stupid shit, and I just got beat up to the point where it's like it it really you know you say something dumb on Twitter as this, as even an F list celebrity like myself, and boy. And man, you can pay for it, but um, it, it was a thumping, and I, I maybe I deserved it. I probably did, but if there's nothing like getting uh, internet bullied or, or thrashed, it, it's hard to open your feed every day and, and have people just railing on what an imperfect, horrible person you are. Well, and there, there, there's obviously the problems that everything that is online is permanent, and Unfortunately, due to the nature of how things works, uh, it, when you see it, you're seeing it for the first time, even if it happened a year ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, and yeah. then it stays fresh. And in the current climate that we're in, it seems that a lot of people have forgotten how to forgive people. Yeah. And uh, just remember that everybody is is a person and we're all going to make mistakes. And unless it's something truly egregious, uh it can in even in some of those situations, you know, people are going to grow. They're going to become better. They're going to learn from their mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I guess I, I was going to add something else to it, but I just I went back to that place, and it, it's it's sort of like you know when you when you get that that feeling sort of in the pit of your stomach. It's just like that that ow that that emotional owl that is like right in your gut. Yeah. Um, because, um, what was I going to say? Oh, for instance, t today I put on a song off. I'm a big hip hop fan. And, um, Royce to five, nine from Detroit put out a new album. Yeah. I heard about that. And the first song right off the bat is, is called, uh, I don't have to like your pants. And one of the lyrics is something like, um, I think you're gay to me and that's okay to me, but I don't have to like your pants. And it's basically about hating skinny jeans and skinny, <laughs> and skinny jeans being like the lamest thing in the world. I personally love skinny jeans. I wear them all the time, 
but he has all these great lines in there about like uh they and they make your your feet look big um it's hard to get your balls into them and and and, but then like the second part of the lyric is you're a fag to me and that's okay b but i don't have to like your pants and i think it's i think it's hilarious right and i'm a pansexual bisexual gay straight whatever the you want to call me love is love i've had sex with every i've had sex with a non-binary probably at some point uh, you know what i mean i'm not uh i hate freaking labels i think love is love but but then i realized with the mistake i've made on twitter i didn't know if i could even i i filmed the song while i was going through a car wash and i was like "Ooh, that's he says fag and he says gay i don't know if i can get away with this and i really like i hate that i have to explain the comedy of like i don't think he's being hateful i think he's just making a funny song about skinny jeans from a gangster culture um well being a fan of of hip-hop myself uh there is there is a a a definite non-interest in in kind of taking your taking your words back and trying to be as careful as possible when they want to say something they want to say something if it comes out as offensive they don't care yeah it's just it's just what it is um you know not my myself i i kind of often think of uh, me being born in the wrong hemisphere i think i was actually meant to be born in england i'm overly polite i try not to offend anybody uh but at the same time it's it's there's something to be said to letting it out there and just kind of being what it is. And I have a great respect for the folks that can do it. I, I don't feel like a lot of the time I've found my voice on the internet or in social media land, maybe because of the character that I played on television. I think some of it is that each was such an honorable, perfect, beautiful kid. Uh, young man that was passionate and loyal to his friends and never obviously polite, always did the right thing. Um, so then if you see Manu, you know, make a joke, uh, about anything, whether it be race races or, or sexuality or, or whatever, it's, it, it's shocking to see each of even cuss. Mm. So, um, I think some of that has been the issue, but a lot of it is just also being like afraid of my own white guilt and my own. Do you ever fear your own, like, you know, you're not a racist, but you know that you're kind of, kind of a racist. (laughs) I think everybody has certain, certain disposition, certain, prejudices that are that are going to be built into them we're 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 all a product of our environment and how we were brought up and it's it's almost impossible not to have a certain element of that and it's the being able to have a a mindset that you can see it and try and limit and uh, make sure that the damage doesn't land as much as you can i think is at least what i try and do and i'm sure i fail at it somewhat but and then, and then the, the, the greatest people that I respect are the people that can accept their own prejudices, make fun of them, 
and with their sense of humor overcome and better for the most part better the world by making the joke certainly and that's what i felt about that song i was like this song is great but it's gonna offend some people and with my track record right now i couldn't put the damn thing on my social media and i felt i felt sort of like censored you know and i was like wow that's so weird that i'm like censoring myself because of past mistakes and i don't want to piss people off and i I don't think i can do that much longer without hating myself well i kind of i kind of look to certain individuals like you know like dave Chappelle is getting a a heck of a hard time because of his most recent uh special that was released and i've watched it a couple times because i wanted to see i've always liked dave Chappelle, and then i see these reviews and it's like, are we watching the same program? I'm I'm not seeing what they're seeing, at least not well, here, to the degree. Here's the strange thing. I I uh, recently was dating a trans woman, so I can relate to why they're angry. Um, at the same time, it was funny. Yeah. The joke was funny. So it's this it's this horrible. Um, battleground that like it what he, here's what'll blow your mind if you go and watch 1980s uh eddie murphy mm. remember delirious oh yeah if if you put on delirious right now you will be shocked at how racist and homophobic and awful delirious is same thing with raw and, yeah and i remember watching it back then just thinking ah this is hilarious this is a funny guy and I was just a young man, just a young kid in the 80s or the early 90s, whenever that was. I think late or middle 80s. I think it was late 80s, yeah. I thought it was really funny. All the people around me thought it was really funny. But looking at it today, you're like, wow, that is over the line racist. And I think the same can be said about that joke. I think that joke went too far. Let's chop our dicks off and go convince men to fuck us. Because that's not what a trans woman is. That's no. not at all what a trans woman is. And I think that's just that one joke, that that line was stepping over the line. And Dave Chappelle is like the champion of not stepping over the line. So sooner or later, he was going to do it. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he, he gets right up to the edge there so often. It's just going to happen at some yeah. point. Yeah, I forgive him. I, I, say, I say, you know. Also, you know, his culture, man, he's a strong black man and and he's had to deal with uh, a lot of upbringing uh, racist to that community. Black men have a a much harder time coming out than than white men because they're in a culture that 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 beats them up even harder than than uh, I, I was going through school. Um, it, it's tougher on those guys, man. Like when I saw Moonlight, I cried. You ever seen Moonlight? I have. Powerful movie because I it was the first time in my life that I felt like I could at least relate to what it would be like for a gay black man growing up in the hood that was not effeminately gay but just a gay man. Um, Heavy stuff, man. I told you we'd talk about heavy stuff. Hey, that's that's all right. Like I said, it's whatever kind of works. I have my I have my 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 skeleton uh, of where I think things are going to go. If it goes there, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, that's also fantastic. Uh, yeah. But but, uh, 
So, so what is Everybody Loves Pudding? What's the I, – I should have done the research. What's the podcast about for the most part? Well, we kind of focus on pop culture primarily. Uh, we tend to do a handful of different things, uh, movie reviews, top tens, things like that. But what – at least my primary focus, I like to, anytime as I can, speak with people that are in the industries that create the things that entertain us, that – uh, contribute to our our group culture, our mindset, anything, and see where they come from. See why they made what they made. Who are they as people? And just kind of get a little glimpse behind. I mean, I, I feel like I've been lucky to talk to the people I've talked to, writers, artists, actors, stuntmen, uh, just a variety. And it's, and it's wonderful to kind of see from a different perspective. Well, to sort of wrap this little conversation up in a ball, um, that first question you asked me of when did you know what you wanted to be and, and, and you wanted to get into the industry, there was a certain point, and it probably wasn't when I was four. That was just the, the, the you know, I was awestruck by these people flying around on a stage and I knew I wanted to be a part of that. But there was a certain point that I realized that as an actor, you get the opportunity to be a part of a beautiful piece of art called a film that can't, that has the power to make us relate to each other and make us realize that we all are one and that we're just the human race and make two people from different, very different cultures who watch the same film feel the same thing. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't, in an acting career, you might only get to do it once. You might only be in one film your entire career that touches people in that way, but I think it's worth it. Um, and that's why I act just to get that chance to make people feel connected, make people feel loved, make people laugh, make people feel human and, and know that the guy down the street uh, that they thought was scary the day before is probably just like them. I like that idea. So, okay, I know you've probably told this story about a million times, but um, going where I know you from most is uh, Star Trek Voyager. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Um, and Voyager came on the heels of or during the end of the Deep Space Nine run. Um, and so I was already really into that show. And I, was, I felt like a the only person at the time that loved that show. It's like, can't you see how awesome this is? Oh, and now there's Voyager and okay, great. And I, I stuck with that and it was wonderful in its own way. How did you become involved in that particular show? What, what was the lead up? How were you a Trek fan ahead of time? Were you kind of just like, Ooh, I get to be on, on this show that I've that's associated with what I already loved. Or was this a new territory for you? You know what I believe the, the simple answer is? Fate. That, that's what I believe the simple answer is. Um, to be more involved, when I was three years old, my dad built me a, a little spaceship out of wood and paint and gave it to me for Christmas, and I was like the pilot of my little spaceship. Um, and I started dreaming about traveling in the stars. And I was a part of, I remember watching my teacher who was the sub for Krista McAuliffe on the Challenger. If, really? If Krista McAuliffe didn't go, she would have gone. 
I remember watching that whole thing happen. Um, all sorts of things finally led to, including a conversation with my agent and the casting director of Star Trek Voyager at the time, that was when they were casting this role of Echeb. That particular casting director had, had casted me two years before in a movie called Senseless, and I was horrible in it. And I couldn't remember my lines, and the director, Penelope Spiris, yelled at me and, and hated me. And she, and I wasted a lot of film and time and energy. And Marlon Wayans and, and uh, Matthew Lillard were both like trying to help me through the scene. I was awful. And but my agent and the casting director were both at a nail salon getting pedicures, and my agent got so angry at the casting director that he was like, "But my actor's two years further in his career. He knows what he's doing now. He's grown. You have to see him." And the lady cut his foot because he was so animated about defending my talent that he's like, "I'm bleeding for my for my actor. You have to see him." <laughs> Ron, Ron Serma was like, okay, all right, we'll see him. And, you know, the rest is history. I, I went in and, and wowed them and did a couple. First, it's the, the casting director, then it's casting director and director, then it's the director and Ron Berm, Ron uh, Berman? Rick Berman? Ron, uh, Rick, Rick, Rick right? I think, yeah. Yeah, Rick and, and um, Brandon Braga. And then uh, I got the part and you know, did the happy dance all over my house and each up doing the happy dance. I think that's uh that's yeah. a picture that could be worth a, a million words there. Yeah. <laughs> How now one of the stories that a lot of the people that were involved with the Star Trek shows over the years, um, tell, especially if they were one of the alien races, uh, or what, <laughs> <laughs> Or that, something that, like that. That works. That works. I, I, I can dig that. <laughs> With a couple of woo! That's yeah! right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lost my train of thought now. I like that. Um, they talk about the prosthetics. I mean, you didn't have a lot for the most part, but at the very beginning, you had the full bore get up. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, it's not fun, you know. It... it it ruins Halloween for you <laughs> because once you get paid to put on all that stuff and it itches and it like the, the Borg outfits are basically like spandexy type of stuff, except there's some hard plastic and hard rubber on the outside. And I was a half Borg. So like I had a, a part of my arm sticking out and a part of my long leg sticking out and those hard rubber pieces would chafe and cut into me while I walked. Plus, it's itchy and it's stinky, and the 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 foam rubber they use the pieces two or three times if they can, and it rots really quickly. It gets mildewy, so the board, oh. board ships smell like a really bad mildewy towel. Ugh. Yeah, so it's gross. It's it, it 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 was still fun for the two weeks I did it, but I couldn't imagine seven years of it. Wow, um, and you know, guys like Ethan Phillips who played Neelix and who like did that for seven years, or Odo, or any of the thick makeup guys, Doug Jones in that big Get Up and Discovery. Those guys, they work really, really hard, and I, I don't think people know how hard they work. And then to 
so so then when Halloween comes around and somebody's like, let's put on all this makeup, and I'm like, I've been paid for that. <laughs> I, I don't do that for free anymore. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a fair response. At least you didn't have to have it for long. You just had a little bit here and there for the outfit, and it wasn't too bad. Yeah, each ep was forty five minutes. They just put the little nose piece, the little eyepiece on, and and did my Ronald Reagan hairdo. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, little, little little dabble, do you keep that down? Yeah, yeah. So the other thing I kind of wanted to ask, I, I heard the all shows have sometimes a difficult recording schedule, but I heard that Star Trek, especially so, was was difficult. Some very, very long days. Now, um, did you have to kind of be part of that really long day or because you were, you were kind of sometimes in it, sometimes weren't, maybe the shooting wasn't so bad? What was it like? Well, I shot... I don't know if it was 12 or 13 episodes. I only ended up in 11. So a couple of shows I got cut out of, but I do remember that we worked long hours and there were many, many times that we would be there 14, 16 hours a day. And then I would, luckily I lived right next to Paramount. So I, I could just, you know, bounce back home, took me 10 minutes and pass out for a few hours and come back to the set. Um, people that lived uh, farther out, uh, that you know, I probably had a, a tougher time dealing with it. But the the, the truth is, the, every single one of us would have, would go back in a heartbeat, and there was nothing to complain about. The long hours we were being paid well to pretend that we were on a freaking starship uh, <laughs> for twenty three episodes a year, doing amazing writing. The you know the the writers Brian Fuller was on that show, uh, Michael Pillar. There was such great writers on that show giving us amazing dialogue and amazing stories so i don't think anybody really we would maybe somebody here and there would be like oh a long day oh, let's go get another coffee and a bagel um but i don't think anybody really cared uh or complained too much for real in their hearts it was awesome yeah, the writing on the shows, I mean, you know, there's there's obviously always going to be some hit or miss episodes, but it was really consistent. I was always impressed. I mean, I know that uh, that production houses uh, are always going to be mindful, at least at that point, when it was all about the ratings and the whole thing where they brought in Jerry Ryan and the supposed friction between um, her and a another individual on the show, which may or may not be accurate. I don't think it was. I was there for those last two years. They seemed to be friendly to me. I, I, I didn't see it. And I felt like I was there enough. Uh, you know, I was on the show for basically two seasons. I mean, halfway through season six, I came aboard. Um, and I spent a lot of time with those two women. And, you know, maybe there was something in the beginning. But by the end of the series, everybody liked each other. There was a lot of joking around on set. I think the only people that didn't like us were maybe the the on the set producers trying to get the show done in time while we were messing up takes for fun. Um, yeah, you know they that that's the thing. Like we were talking about the internet earlier. Somebody says something in a minute, mm -hmm. and then it turns into this big thing that it really wasn't as big as people make it out to be at all. I, I think those two women love and respect each other just fine. Yeah, I, I, if I was going to say, if they had anything, that, then they are not only consummate professionals, but the most amazing 
actresses I've ever seen because yeah. I look at every scene. It's like, no, I don't see any glint of hate in anybody's eyes. No, they spent a lot of time together. They, they did great work together. And I think that's, I think if there's a truth to it, it's like 5% of what people think it was. Well, people like a story. I guess yeah. that's kind of, kind of why we're here. Yeah. And that's the thing too. This is like, you were t- talking about forgiveness and, 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 people in being imperfect and, and hate on the internet and hate and, and, uh, uh, TMZ type stuff. Um, it's the haters are just so much louder than, than the love on the internet. You could have a hundred people say, Hey man, forgive him. He's an all right guy. But the one person that says some, it's just louder. It makes more mm. noise. Yeah. It gets more attention. But it does produce some learning moments. I know I had an instance on Twitter. I tend to uh, I tend to be very selective. You know, some quotes here and there, uh, some some you know just promotion and you know uh, saying how much I like certain things. I stay away from political discourse. Stay away from most things. And I I remember one instance that I broke away from that just briefly because I was you know on the mindset. It's like you know let's let's maybe bridge the gap here. Let's see if. We can, you know, reach somebody and talk just for a minute, and it, I think it produced the only time I've ever been blocked <laughs> by anyone. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that did not go the way that I expected it to go. I was just trying to, it's like, you know, what about this other perspective? And blocked. <laughs> it's like, never mind. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a different environment that I was personally not prepared for. Um, so... It's been a little while since Voyager. What has the 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 benefit of time kind of brought to you? Has it has it turned those memories sweeter? Has has it given you uh, a, an appreciation for something you may not have thought to appreciate at the time? What what has this uh, the, what has this break uh, been able to to do about that project for you? I remember on the, the last couple of days of that show realizing what I was leaving. We were shooting the final episode. I was only there for one day uh, to shoot a scene with Tuvok and uh, Garrett Wong and a few other actors were on set that day uh, and I got to see most everybody. I ran around with a pile of scripts and had everybody sign them. I remember that was not enough to do that. Um, but I knew what I was leaving. I mean, I remember standing on the Paramount lot, looking down the, the long, the long streets between the massive studio buildings and knowing that, you know, I was leaving this amazing show and probably would never be back. Um, and now 20 years later, I have this little glimmer of hope that I might be back, you know? Um, so that's kind of neat. I crossed my fingers and thankful to the fans for, voicing their opinions um, on the whole bring back each other thing. I think it, uh, it makes sense. I think this new Star Trek, uh, especially Picard, has a chance to bring back a bunch of old characters. And maybe these new spinoff shows will have a chance to bring back old characters. I think the fans want to see some of their favorites come back into the, into the show in some way. So, you know, um, I've... I've always been humble and grateful and thankful for the experience. Um, and I never, I never took it for granted. That's for sure. I mean, when the scripts came in, every time I read a screenplay, maybe I did, 
maybe I took it for granted maybe one time. And those early screenplays, there was like two screenplays when each of them first got on the ship and they were just writing him as kind of a bratty kid, kind of a bratty child. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I hope I don't have to do this for two years and just play this brat. Mm. Um, but then like the next week, they wrote that episode, Child's Play, and uh, he was not that bratty kid ever again, and it was great writing. And he, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think time has done anything, um, but I've got to meet Star Trek fans all over the world. I've gotten to go to so many places and so many different cultures to, to Star Trek shows, and... Um, I've gotten so much from Star Trek. It's such a huge part of my life and who I am. Um, the years having gone by uh, just makes makes it all the more exciting. I loved watching all the new kids take over and, and do the JJ films uh, and play the old cast. I, I thought, you know, just like some of the fans that didn't like those films, I thought they weren't as, um, you know moral or, or cerebral as yeah. the old Star Trek. They were action films. Um, but I still loved them, and no, I still love but... those characters. And I guess just over the years, it's just been fun. It's just been a fun thing to be a part of. And uh, Hopefully, I one day, I get to go back and do it again. I, I would like to see that, personally. I, uh, I can't imagine how much fun it would be to be able to do a scene with Patrick Stewart. That would be oh. so cool. Um, I mean, I've only spent one, he showed up as a surprise at a convention I was at in England, in a, at Blackpool, England. And I spent just a couple hours with him in the green room talking comic books. And at the time he was trying to get a comic book made called Trans Metropolitan, I think huh. it was called. Um, and he was very kind and fun and funny. And he was even offering me a chance to read for the, comic if you got the, the meeting and got it off the ground um, to play this punk rock character mm -hmm. uh, I was 21 in punk rock um, uh, yeah I would love to work with that man that would be awesome and to kind of touch on a little bit about what you're talking about what I'm sorry but there isn't really an actor in Star Trek that I can think of that I wouldn't want to have a, a chance to work with they're, they're all really really good actors they all did fabulously. I mean, I, I have a, a lasting love just because of all the effort that was put into all of the shows by everyone that was involved. You could see that it was something that everyone really cared about, and it came through in the product. And I've been on other shows where you're the guest star or you're just uh, there for the week, um, and I've seen casts on other shows that were just like sick of doing what they were doing and didn't care about what they were doing. And they were just phoning it in to go home. I never felt like that on Star Trek. But we did care and, and we wanted it to be great and everybody gave their best and nobody phoned it in. Well, and you've set up through having this experience, you've got this extended family, right? That you interact with a lot of these people still. I mean, that uh, work on the Renegade series that uh, that you did yeah, involved a lot of them. Yeah, I did a movie called Fifth Passenger, and I, I hired Tim and, and uh, Armin Shimmerman and uh, Marina Sirtis uh, came aboard for that. 
Robert Picardo was originally going to uh, play a part in that, but Armin took over for him because Picardo got a, a job in a nice big theater project that paid better. Um, who else? Doug Jones was, was also in that film. So, yeah, and I'm working on a film now called The Circuit, uh, which we started on Kickstarter. And episode one is a, a sci-fi feature film. We're, we're struggling between... Uh, two great screenplays, one that's a sci-fi comedy and one that's a sci-fi supernatural horror. Um, and I need to make the decision in the next couple of weeks which way we're going to go. Um, I'm leaning towards the comedy um, because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, bias has got to be there. Yeah, um, but so did so many others. So many people have worked on the screenplay. It's not just me. Uh, now, this is the project that's kind of like the 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 blend between uh, like Twilight Zone and convention circuit sort of thing is no, no that one that was the original idea, but now it's it, it then it was going to be ten episodes that all take place in this fictional city called Urbiesa, this mega city in the future, and ten episodes each episode would be a different subgenre of science fiction, so we'd get to see the same place but ten different looks at it. You know, if you're watching a sci-fi comedy or a sci-fi horror or a sci-fi romance, the city would look a little different. Um, and then when we got when the Kickstarter was successful, investors came aboard, and and they wanted it to be a feature-length film. And now the money's talking, and so we're like, okay, we'll we'll make episode one as a feature film, and then if the film's successful, we'll pitch the show to the networks. So that's that's the plan. That sounds like uh, sounds like it uh, is like most of the pro well not most of the projects but a lot of projects I hear about that tends to just kind of morph a little bit over time. They do. I mean, I think it, what's it called? That Matt Damon uh, movie was originally a spy thriller. Uh, the one with it, that made him and Ben Affleck. What? Famous. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, <laughs> was originally a spy thriller. <laughs> you can see how things change shape when yeah. they get to the screen. I can't imagine that one as a spice thriller. I, I guess I can see certain elements that would have been yeah, common to both. He was a genius, and so that so he got recruited by them, and then he had to have the relationship. With them. But they took out all the action and shoot 'em up stuff. And I'm glad they did. Great movie. So obviously, part of your title is you know actor, producer, writer. Each of them have different um, skill sets involved, and a lot of people can kind of get their head wrapped around. Uh, certain aspects of some of them. One for me that's always feels a little different, a little ephemeral, is the producer side of things. What's it like being in that particular role and trying to get something running and oiled, well oiled, and working the way that it's supposed to work? Uh, work, 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 work is the word. Work is the word. A real producer, like you know, if you're. They give all these titles out, the associate producer, producer, executive producer. Uh, executive producers usually just give the money. They, they, they put the money down and then hire on-the-ground producers to do all the ins and outs of making a movie. Um, but then there's executive producers also that not only find the script, find the content, uh, get the actors attached, find all the money, but then they also go and make sure that the movie is made properly. 
And that's where the real producer word uh, comes into play for me. Producing is about permits for shutting down city streets, um, making sure that the catering is there on time, that we're following all the union rules, that we've hired all the right people, that we've got enough lights, we've got enough cameras, we've got enough wardrobe department, everybody's there. It's, it's getting a film shoot done on the type of budgets that I've had to, to work with so far. It's incredible that we've even finished the product and, and got it out there. Um, anytime somebody complains and says like, oh man, it's taking so long for you to get this movie done. They don't understand what releasing a, a, a theatrical quality film takes as far as, you know, you're not only talking about the key departments like light and sound and actors and wardrobe and the director of photography and the director and the gaffer and all the people setting up the lights but you're also talking about post-production and post-production sound and post-production Foley sound, and people's feet and all the, the sound of a beard when somebody itches it, all those little sounds that go into a film um, and the score mm. and the visual effects that have to be put in and the practical effects department that you have to hire. You have to find all these people, right? These, yep. these people are just like, it's rare that you have a, a list that you're just born with a Rolodex of 75 of the best artists in the world at music, painting, construction, uh, post-production, sound. There's so much that goes into making a good film that it's just work. Producers work. They work yeah. their butts off. And then the director gets all the credit. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, everybody's got their place. You know, you gotta have somebody that can. You that... gotta have somebody that is the final, the final call, uh, because a lot of times it, dur you know, during a scene, makeup will want this, uh, the camera department will want that, and the producer usually has to make a call, and the director has to make the call. Yeah, that's the, I guess that's a, a double-edged sword. Uh, the producers a lot of times get things done, but uh, whether the film is received well or not, that, that still ends up hitting that the director. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, so many things can destroy a movie. Oh, yeah. Any department can destroy a movie. I mean, you can have perfect everything, and if, and if makeup's wrong, the movie's horrible. Mm -hmm. You can have you can have perfect everything, and if one actor's bad, the movie's horrible. At least if he's or she's in a significant amount of the film. Uh, lighting, sound. Oh. The first film I produced, Benjamin Troubles. Our sound guy forgot to turn in his sound reports, and then the book got lost. So eighteen days of shooting, and we didn't know how to match the sound. We didn't have a we didn't have any way to match the sound to our takes oh, it literally man. took like four months of sitting around just playing one and watching one and seeing if they matched up oh, that, so sounds... that was always a nightmare it was a nightmare so that's four months right there and people are yelling at me going when's the movie finished i'm like i'm still working on getting my sound just <laughs> synced <laughs> i haven't started cutting the film you know? Oh, that's that's fantastic. Well, awful, but fantastic. 
at the same time. A mistake that will never be made again. That's the other thing about producing. If you get involved in producing movies, the learning curve is like that. Like you learn, you learn something and you never forget it. Though I will say this, I do, I I have a, a bit of joy I take from television and movies, and it's not in in the pain or or pointing out a mistake, but I love when a show or a movie has just one small mistake that's pretty glaring, and it but it's it in some way just kind of adds to something to it that it makes me enjoy it. Um, an example that I'll give is. Uh, the Highlander movies, you know, Highlander movies came out and then they had the show with Adrian Paul and they go, okay, let's make a movie that has both of them in there. And we're going to tie up some loose ends. And there is a fight scene that's really well choreographed, but somebody dropped the ball in the editing and there is a complete replication of one move set where he like blocks a, a sword strike and then comes back at it. It happens. They go through some other stuff and then it happens again. They use the same exact piece of same yeah, exact yeah. piece. Yeah. Oh, I still love that. And they did it. They did it thinking they could get away with it. <laughs> and, and in the editing bay, that's what happens when you're editing. You cut the scene so many different ways and you've seen the scene so many different times that you lose perspective because you no longer are seeing it for the first time. You don't really know whether you whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's finished, whether it's not. You need fresh eyes to come in and go, uh, I did notice that you, you do know you use the same sword take twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I didn't think people would notice that. that that's glaring, you know, uh, that happens. Well, let's go to something a little more fluff related. I always have a handful. Usually I have a, a uh, I, I'm listening. No, you're good. We've got uh, we've got two hosts generally, but uh, on occasion I have a little more flexible in my schedule about when I can talk. So I will ask some of the questions that he often asks. Um, one is we always ask a food related question. We have people from all over the country that we talk to, and so one unifying thing that brings us all together more often than not is pizza. What kind of a pizza guy are you? Out on the on the West Coast, are you more of a New York slice kind of guy? Are you kind of a Chicago style pizza? Is there a, a just an absolute favorite that's on on in California? It's like no, this place is the bomb. This is the place where everybody needs to go. I used to go to Abbott Kinney Pizza in Venice. I don't know if they're still up and running, but that was the best pizza that I knew of in L.A. to, to order from. And I haven't found a really really good pizza place in LA that I'm like bam that's that's the spot there's some good wood fired pizza places uh, around here um, uh, if you like that you know fresh hot crispy crust type of thing right out of the oven you get to pick your toppings I always love that kind of pizza but to, you know bad pizza is there such a thing um, don't think so I, I, you know the, the typical crappy Domino's uh, pizza hut type stuff I could take it or leave it, but you know the best pizza I ever had was actually. I'll sound like a Ponzi actor tweet plot here, but <laughs> the best pizza I ever had was in Italy, and it was at this little, you know, side of you know back alley place that literally the the, the crust was so thin that you had to eat it with a knife and fork, and it was more like 
it was more like there was crust around the edge and just toppings and cheese and beautiful tomato sauce in the middle. And uh, you, you, you couldn't pick up a slice. It would just fall right back onto the plate. That sounds it, fantastic. It was wonderful. I, I, that's the pizza I remember most. And it had everything on it. It had sausage and, and, and salami and pepperoni. And, and uh, uh, I've since gone vegetarian, but uh, at the time it was it was loaded with everything. Uh, and that's like, like like I said, that's kind of what brings us all together. Now, what brings me together more than anything else uh, is comic books. And you were talking about comic books a little bit yeah. before. Have you been a comic book fan for? Oh, I, I was a comic book collector from you know two years old to, to maybe 21. And then I got back into comics right around 30. So yeah, I, I love comics. What's your title? I'm more of a graphic novel guy. Well, that's, that I, gives you a longer story. I'm not the dude that, that goes in every Wednesday and gets all the issues. Cause that would, that to me is sort of like heroin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I know every time I go into a comic book store, I'm like, what are the, what's the best graphic novels? that's come out in the last year or so what's give me a few good uh, titles I, I got a comic book shop guy who's closing down his store man and such mm. a bummer because he was he was the man the man you could always count on him for endless good titles um but i i would tell him don't let me start buying the what are they called just the the just the monthly the recurring yeah, titles or yeah don't let me because if I start, I, I know that I, let, that I won't stop. And uh, I just buy graphic novels these days. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll snag an issue of, of something. Because uh, he says it's great, and I check it out. But then I usually go back to the graphic novel. Well, what's your favorite? If you, if you had to go with uh, either a superhero comic or a non-superhero comic, what, what, is, what is the thing that interests you the most? Wow, that's tough. Man, because I love capes. I love superheroes. I also love uh, the adult side of, sort of like Garth Ennis type comics. Uh, Starman. You ever read Starman? Yeah, that was a fun uh, one. Uh, what I, I really, really liked the, the Batman a couple of years ago by, uh, uh, oh, it was the Court of Owls. Oh, that was a really good storyline. Yeah. Really good story, um, but it's you can't pick your favorite. I mean, I I, I read that you know I liked The Walking Dead for about a hundred issues, and then I tuned out because here's something about that I can definitely state: there's a time where a story goes on too long, and The Walking Dead needed to end sooner. It just kept going and going and going. Um, one of the stories that I got turned on to that I had missed recently that I really, really liked. Oh, man. Why can't I remember the title of it? It's a sci-fi comic, and it's fantastic. There's a guy with horns, and there, there's a baby. Oh, Saga? Saga. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Saga. Yeah, that, but, that one's well done. Yeah. Uh, but, man, there's so many good comics out there. I... I I couldn't pick a favorite. I don't think I could. Well, if it's apes, it's Batman. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense because that kind of blends into it. If you had the chance to play somebody, is that who you would want to play? Oh, no. I'd want to play Joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does, uh, yeah I, I, I find the villain so much more uh, interesting than 
uh, in comics. Um, I'd also, I also really, really wanted to play Preacher. Yeah. Uh, when, and when before they made it, you know, mm-hmm. when I was just a dream, I was like, man, they should make this. I want to play this character. And I wanted to play the character in Preacher that the, that the kid they cast is so good that I probably wouldn't have been as good as he was. Uh, but man, I, I, you know, a Marvel job anytime. Yeah, I don't that... care who the character is. I wanted to play Doctor Strange, but what you know, Cumberbatch did a wonderful job. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I was a little surprised by that. I really like Benedict Cumberbatch, but when I thought about him, it's like, and him is Doctor Strange. It's like, I don't know if I can get behind that. And then he plays like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, he yeah. did great. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever he does. Oh. Well, uh, is there anything you mentioned a little bit about the uh, project that we're, you're working on? Is there anything else you kind of want to give a shout out to before we finish wrapping up here? Sure. Uh, everybody next year, keep, keep their eye out for the first of the, the circuit films. Uh, the title as of the moment is uh, Star Crew, Episode 1, The Zombots of Erbiesa. Nice. It's kind of a... Uh, to describe it, it's sort of a uh, Galaxy Quest meets Shaun of the Dead type of movie, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've got all these great Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and sci-fi, Hobbit, Game of Thrones actors involved. So I thought, why not have us all play fictional versions of ourselves? And uh, I won't say any more, but the rest is, uh, that should be out probably late, late, by the late 2020. Um, but I also have a, a great uh, Western that I just shot with Ron Perlman and David Jesse from the new show uh, Carnival Row. Yeah. Check that out. yeah. Uh, he plays uh, and- Andreas, I think, the the, the, the uh, puck next door. Uh, okay. And he's playing Bass Reeds, who was the first African-American uh federal marshal u.s marshal and he was given his star by my character uh this judge named judge parker back in 1867 or something like that um but i don't remember i think it was three years after the civil war this black dude's riding around as a u.s marshal that's hardcore that's like as hard as you can be and bass tweeds was an amazing story uh so we did this this movie about him and uh, uh, Frank Grillo Grillo is also in it, playing one of the playing the lead bad guy. Uh, it's called Hell on the Border, uh, and that'll be out around Christmas. Um, and there's if, if any if you're interested in, in my career in any way, shape, or form, you can always look me up on IMDb. We've got like eight films coming out next year. Uh, if you want to help me get back on Star Trek, you can always. Uh, Tweet to Star Trek at or CBS Star Trek CBS I think it's called or Sounds CBS right. All Access and tell them why you want to see my character on the show. It's been awesome to to see those tweets and you can always follow me uh, at Monumente Reme on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. That's fantastic. I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me and uh, tell me a little bit of, about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I got to say it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it's fun to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful.